Welcome to Let's Play Business. Welcome to Let's Play Business, the show that explores how games can make people better at business and business better for people. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode six, my co-host Zuki Majikwana. Zuki, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Ben. I'm doing very well. Finally getting to enjoy some summer sun. Uh, so yeah, very little to complain about. How about you? Thoroughly enjoying the summer sun as well. What have you been playing and what have you been businessing recently? Because of the business things, I haven't been able to spend quite as much time doing the playing side of things. But I had a really good weekend actually, over a long weekend. One of my good friends, shout out to Luke, came down to London and we spent a lot of the weekend playing Monopoly Deal, one of your favourite games, Ben. It was great. Oh, good to know that finally someone's played it off the back of the episode. Absolutely. How about you? What have you been up to? I've been a bit heavy on the uh, on the businessing recently. We're going to have our first company barbecue in July at some point. And I'm very much looking forward to playing, which I absolutely will force people to do. Playing a game of Werewolf. Have you ever played Werewolf before? No. I haven't. Oh, I've heard of it, but tell me more. So some people call it Mafia. It's the same thing, basically, under different names. And it's kind of like a kind of mystery-ish who who done it who's the murderer role playing y type uh, game thing I realistically need like eight people minimum to play it for it to be any good so i love it but you're really in a situation where you can convince all eight people plus that you're with to play a game it has to be like a perfect coming together of circumstance and the company barbecue is that perfect coming together of circumstance i've told them they can all bring plus ones just to boost the numbers for the game really that's the only reason i've done it ben i cannot wait for my invite this sounds like so much fun i'm really looking forward to it you seem to assume <laughs> invitations to a number of companies Company events. Uh, I'm afraid they're still not forthcoming. Anyway, Zuki, I think that is enough about us. I think it is time to introduce our sixth guest. It is the one and only Tim Adler. Tim, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you, guys. Excellent. Tim, could you uh, tell our adoring fan a little bit about yourself? My name's Tim Adler. I'm the editor of Small Business, which is the number one website for entrepreneurs and owner managers in the UK. I also edit a sister website, which is called Growth Business, and that's aimed at fast-growing companies, mainly in the tech space. Companies growing at 20% year-on-year over three years. The kind of companies that are attracting venture capital, or as we read about today, Depop being bought by Etsy for over a billion pounds. I mean, those are the kind of companies that we write about. And I understand you've had a fairly glittering career across the media for your other publications you've worked for in the past. Well, I wouldn't say glittering, but I've spent some years at the Telegraph. I've written for the FT, the Times, the Guardian, uh, anybody will have me really. I've written three non-fiction books and four novels, So, but that's my hobby, that's not my business life. What has been your favourite publication to work for so far? It depends where you're looking at it from. Writing about small businesses and the problems facing small business owners and you realise what an incredibly hard graft it is. And I always think the term small business is a bit pejorative. It makes it sound like these are kind of insubstantial businesses. 
but for owners, managers, company directors, this is their entire life. And the thing about running a small business is that it's all consuming. It never stops. You're always on. It's 24-7, seven days a week. That said, being an entertainment journalist was a lot more glamorous. There was one moment when I was having drinks with Bruce Willis on his yacht which was pretty cool. That is very cool. <laughs> uh, even if it was a bit confusing, because he had seven people around him who looked identical to him, and this is what the big stars do. They have these look-alike bodyguards, so that if somebody was to take a shot at them, they wouldn't know who to hit. Ah, I didn't realise that. Imagine signing up for that job. Here's a job description. Look like me, take a bullet if you have to. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode, the way this is going to work, we're going to have free rounds, or free levels even. First, game of the decade. We're going to talk about one of our favourite games on the episode and find out what it taught us about business and make the case for why that should be the game of the decade. Level two, ding goes the interview. We're going to be asking Tim a number of questions about his business journey, his career, and how games may have helped him on the way. And finally, level three, the final level, Game My Problem, where we'll have 60 seconds to come up with a game that will solve one of your business problems. Level one, Game of the Decade. Right, Game of the Decade, listener. And Zuki, it is, of course, your turn to make your pitch for what our Game of the Decade is going to be in this episode. understand you have one prepared. I do indeed. I've thought about this long and hard. I think I have selected a great one. So... I have to present to you today the game of the decade, which I think should be the 1,000-piece puzzle. The 1,000-piece puzzle probably isn't where your mind first goes when you're thinking about amazing games that are riddled with business insights, but it is a game and it is absolutely brimming with insights. So let's start with what a puzzle actually is. It's basically just a bunch of pieces that you have to put together to make a nice pretty picture. Or in other words, it's an array of complex, disparate, abstract pieces of information that you need to bring together in order to realize a clear and singular long-term vision. Because that's what puzzles force you to do, to start with a clear long-term vision and then figure out the best and the quickest way to get there. And that, my friends, is exactly what business is. So, just like business, with a 1,000-piece puzzle, there are a lot of ways to get to that end vision, but some are a lot more time-consuming and problematic than others. So you need to find the quickest route to success uh, by focusing on the low-hanging fruit, which is usually the edges of the puzzle, of course, and the detailed and colourful parts where it's easy to make out um, what's what and you're not kind of like just lost in a sea of blue. That's the lesson for business as well. You've always got to start by grabbing the easiest, obvious opportunities and then get a strong foundation before you take on the more complex ones. So that, in a nutshell, is why I think the 1,000-piece puzzle should be the game of the decade. There's quite an analogy you're putting out there, Zuki. I have a counterpoint. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this. So you said about, you know, the, the low-hanging fruit, etc. Could you argue, though, the counterpoint, you have to be careful that you don't just put off some of the harder parts? Because some of those parts will always remain difficult. Like filling in, like, a patch of sky that's just, like, pitch black or something. That'll always remain difficult. So is there any concern there that you're just putting off all the difficult problems at the end and then you have a real difficult finish? Absolutely not, Ben, because you're never going to complete the puzzle if you keep putting it off. The approach that you've got to take to doing a puzzle effectively is you've got to like basically simplify. If you've got a thousand pieces in front of you, a thousand pieces, Ben, if you start by tackling the easy stuff, 
that makes that pile of pieces to sift through smaller and smaller and smaller which means when it comes to tackling those bigger complex problems you've got a smaller pool of pieces to work with and therefore it makes tackling them a lot easier it's a bit like how in business you might want to take a significant capital investment in a new area of business and there's a lot of risk attached to this you can go into that off the bat with absolutely no market intelligence absolutely no market experience you might not even have a business to start with another way of going into that is by creating a minimum viable product a smaller way of getting into that market and then building and building and building from there another way is by bringing on expertise so partnering with people and or bringing in like venture capital which might give you some cash but might also give you some expertise giving yourself the foundations in order to tackle that big scary thing and I think this is the analogy of the puzzle by chipping away at some smaller stuff around the edges it gives you a better chance of tackling that big complex stuff more easily what do you think Tim are you convinced well Zuka I admire the effort I'm not sold in fact I think I would rather shoot myself in the head than do a thousand piece puzzle I cannot think of anything more boring <gasps> well never have I had a game of the decade so savage in an episode before but you know I embrace the criticism <laughs> <laughs> well tell us how you really feel Tim tell us how you really feel <laughs> Interestingly, Zuki, you've picked a thousand piece puzzle as well. You could have picked a two thousand piece, you could have picked a five thousand piece. Uh, Tim would particularly hate that. Uh, you could have picked a five hundred piece. Why the a thousand piece? So I think the a thousand piece is a tipping point in the world of puzzles. Below a thousand pieces, it's too easy. You don't really need any strategy. All those skills that I've just talked about you just don't need and above a thousand piece you're entering like really complex territory and the thing with puzzles as well is they're multiplayer so you can get multiple people involved once you have multiple people chipping away at a puzzle the rules of the games change you have to start thinking about how you're going to like divide the work you have to stop yourself from making things more inefficient by hogging pieces or not having any sort of, sort of system and structure and again the analogy stands with business because as companies grow and become more complex and more people get involved you need more systems and structures and process in order to make the machine oil and that's what you need when you get into the multiplayer puzzle game i'm telling you level two ding goes the interview welcome back listener it is time for ding goes the interview so in this round we're going to be asking tim some cutting edge questions on how games may have influenced his thinking in business, maybe taught him some skills. So each time you say something that we think is particularly insightful, we'll be awarding that a ding, or maybe a couple of dings. And so at the end of the interview, we'll give you like your final score, basically. And then we'll add you onto the leaderboard that we've still not created after five episodes. So we will be creating that leaderboard, and we will be adding you onto it. Right, first question, Tim. What is your favorite ever game and why? Well, the only game that I play is Bridge, which is a card game that basically stems back to an older game called Whist, but became really popular in the 1920s. I was introduced to Bridge by my ex-mother-in-law. I'd gone through a very painful divorce, and she said to me, Tim, if you want to meet intelligent women, learn to play Bridge. So I thought, okay. And it turns out she was right because that's how I met my wife. Bridge is a card game you need four people to play at. And what I really like about Bridge is that unlike any other card game, there's no gambling involved and there's no bluffing involved. All you're trying to do is tell the person sitting across from you at the card table, you're trying to describe the cards that you have in your hand and in turn, they are trying to describe the cards that they have in their hand. 
And the way that you do that is through the bidding. And once you have established that you control the majority of the powerful cards, what are called the honour cards, i.e. the ace, the king, the queen, the jack, if you control the cards, the round can begin. I really puzzled over what the metaphors are in bridge that you can apply to life and how you can apply it to business life. But I do think there are some very good lessons that bridge has that we can all benefit from in terms of strategic thinking, because it is a strategic game. And it's also a very intelligent game. And you think that the people who play bridge, I mean, Bill Gates plays bridge, Warren Buffett plays bridge, David Cameron, uh, the former prime minister plays bridge don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And actually, at one point, I used to play every week with the drummer from Blur, who is a demon bridge player. Tim, you've lived. <laughs> I can't get over this. <laughs> he explained to me the problem with being in a band is that you spend an awful lot of time just hanging around. And so the four of them would play bridge. And I thought, you can imagine how that must have got up the nose of Oasis. <laughs> you know, you know, middle-class boys playing bridge. <laughs> A lot of the terms in bridge we all use, so finding a fit. Finding a fit with your partner is very important. That's what you're trying to do. And in business, often with a deal, you're trying to find a fit that a deal benefits you, but it also benefits me. And I think that's the definition of a good deal, that you both win, maybe you both lose a bit. But there's, you've got to find a fit, and we often spend our time trying to find a fit with a deal. The second thing with bridge that I've learned is that instinctively, when we've got a project or a plan, we kind of hold things back. Or I'll just play this little card first and I'll hold back the big guns till later. And what bridge teaches you is no, play the big card first because then that really shakes up the game. Play your strong card first and then see what happens. We're doing a lot of new product development at the moment and there's a lot of inherent risk with that. The thing that we're going back and forth about is do we take big risks and bet and put huge sums of money into this stuff or are we a bit more cautious and we kind of like tiptoe into it? And that's a discussion worth having. But again, I, I agree with the bridge way of thinking here, which is go big, go in, like place big bets and do the due diligence to believe that they'll work. And I think that's definitely a really strong lesson to take away. And other thing that I enjoy about bridge, and look, I mean, I'm just a beginner, is that you can get higher and higher and higher levels of it where the conventions get more complicated, more arcane. So there's always something else you can learn. I think that is definitely very relatable to business in that pretty much no matter what industry you're in, what sector you're in, whatever your service, you will always continually learn within your industry. And if, if you think you've reached the maximum level of knowledge, normally you're normally in for a trip up at some point very, very soon. Oh, absolutely. And also when you play bridge, I mean, you're, you're asking questions all the time with the bidding. I'm asking, what have you got in your hand? A lot of business is about asking questions. There is no such thing as a stupid question. And I do think the moment I hear people saying oh, that I've mastered something, I've mastered a skill, an alarm bell goes off in my head. Always have that student mentality. I resonate with that. If you look at like big organizations and you look at, you know, the past 20, 30 years and the rise of the internet and these big 
very like stable safe organizations have one by one just been like knocked off their plinths the big one is obviously blockbuster and the rise of netflix i was listening to a different podcast actually which featured an interview with patty mccord who was one of the founders of netflix and she talked about in the early days when they would be huddling around a phone listening to blockbusters like analyst reports and they would hear you know the ceo talking about their quarterly results etc and they'd be huddled around the phone and they'd be thinking from what he was talking about he just doesn't get it he doesn't understand that his industry is about to completely turn on its head and he had the the same opportunities that they did it's the same thing of if you're sort of resting on your laurels and just thinking well you know what i i know everything i know everything there is to know about this industry that's not true because we live in a changing world well yes just going back to what we were talking about about the importance of going big back in the i'm going to say early 2000s itv had its own version of Sky called On Digital. And this was ITV's rival to the Sky platform. ITV knew that Sky had no set-top boxes in its warehouse, whereas their warehouse was stuffed with set-top boxes. And the executive I was talking to said, we knew that they had no set-top boxes. So I went to the top of ITV and I said, look, we've got this window. Let's give away our set-top boxes for free. Because once we do that, we can flood the market. Sky will never get a look in. Yes, it will cost us millions of pounds to do that. But Sky will never recover. And they just balked. They wouldn't do it. They blinked. And that's exactly what Rupert Murdoch did when the set-top boxes came into his warehouse. They gave them away for free. And within a year, On Digital had gone out of business. So sometimes... You do have to place the big bet. Just to clarify my understanding, with bridge, you're playing opposite someone who is your partner, but then there's two players playing across you who are also partners. So it's an interesting game because you're playing against people while at the same time playing with someone, but the person you're playing with, you're working with totally separate information. Is that right? Yes. You're trying to almost telepathically understand what the cards are that that person is holding in their hand. And the couple across the table from you are trying to interrupt you and stop you from making what's called the contract. You don't know what cards they're holding in their hand. So if you've got a business rival, you're both going after the same thing. You and your partner may know what assets you have but you don't know what the opposition has and it may be that they hold better cards but you don't know that that is the point of the game yeah it's this interesting blend of like collaborating while competing obviously the nature of businesses you can't do on your own you need to work with other people but you you see it as well in terms of like you know uh, client agency partners bringing people on with additional expertise who have something that you don't have but that you could use and for your own benefit so i think there's there's a this is a rich area tim Puzzles may not have been great, but I'm going to say bridge, good choice. Right, moving on to the next question, Tim. So, could you name a challenging moment in your career and tell us any skills that games helped you develop to overcome that moment? Back in around 2010, I was offered the chance to buy the magazine that I worked for. Now that sounds very grand, but the magazine I worked for consisted of me. But I worked for a big publisher and they were divesting themselves of titles. They said basically either you can accept this paltry redundancy check or we'll give you the magazine. At the time, 
again, the internet quite, just hadn't quite taken off yet. It's a subscription magazine, a paper product, but you know that you would be earning about 70,000 a year if you take it on. And that was tempting, but I could see the way that the world was changing and what the internet was going to do to the was doing to the publishing industry. So I decided to pass on the offer. When I was learning bridge, my bridge teacher said passing is the most underused bid in the game. It gives you a bit of breathing space until something better happens. So I passed on, you know, what really could have been a very attractive deal and waited. And then I got offered a really good job with an American company that had a completely different model. The website was free and it went absolutely gangbusters and our website was among Time Magazine's top 10 websites of that year. So just by passing on the offer, actually, it paid off. Yeah, I think because humans are just, they, they, what do they call it, loss aversion. We don't like saying no to something when it's put in front of us. We feel the loss of saying no to that opportunity way more than we feel the benefit of, of saying yes to it. That cripples us. And I think a lot of opportunities are, are taken because they're opportunities rather than because they're the right opportunity. I think that's right. And often I think about the term busyness. You know, a lot of business seems to be busyness. We've got to keep busy and we're doing all these things, but actually most of them can often be a complete waste of time or just herring after the latest social media app, the latest digital platform, rather than really thinking deeply and strategically about what it is you're trying to do. And thinking is hard work and people don't like doing it. Never has a truer thing been said. <laughs> right, next question, Tim. So if you were a hero in a game, what kind of hero would you be? You know, describe your traits, uh, ideally, of course, based on your own traits, particularly in the workplace. Well, the hero I'm going to choose is James Bond, who is obviously the fantasy figure for any white, middle-aged, middle-class male. But bringing this back to bridge, in the books, Bond doesn't play poker, Bond plays bridge. And in Moonraker, there is an incredibly exciting bridge game in the middle of the book. What happens is that M, Bond's boss, is told that somebody is cheating at cards at M's club. And he brings in Bond to try and teach this cheat a lesson, so Hugo Drax. And this really white-knuckle bridge game ensues where the stakes end up being, must be the equivalent of about half a million pounds um, in today's money. And it is very white-knuckle. And you think at one point, oh my God, Bond is going to lose everything. But he does win in the end and he plays absolutely brilliantly. It is absolutely gripping and I can't recommend it highly enough. And especially because it has a fantastic game of bridge in it. Nice. So, final question, Tim. Have you seen any good examples of games and or, you know, game principles being used in the real world? I spent nearly four years at the Telegraph and the Daily Telegraph is very keen on staff training, many of which, to be absolutely honest, were thoroughly boring. 
and the way that they keep them interesting was through gamifying them. So there was always some kind of competitive element involved, whether you were split up into teams, there was always an element of a prize to be given, some kind of reward for three or four hours of understanding how display ad sales actually work. And it appeals to the competitiveness in us. So I think that gamifying training, gamifying learning can be really useful and really engaging. Was there anything in particular they did that you thought was quite effective? Well, I just think splitting yourself up into teams, the lure of an Amazon voucher at the end of it. You know, somebody droning on for an hour with a PowerPoint presentation can get very dull. But if they say, in this PowerPoint presentation, I have hidden the name of five pop bands and the person who can spot all five will win a £10 voucher, that keeps you interested keeps you listening. I can definitely say, having also been on the receiving end of some very, very dry training sessions as well, Zuki, I'm sure you can also relate, that anything to make those a little bit more exciting is very, very welcome indeed. Well, thank you very much for your answers, Tim. I'm just going to tally up my dings. Zuki, if you'd like to tally up yours. I've got seven dings. How many have you got? Oh. I also have seven dings. Well, hang on. Was this out of a maximum of 100 dings? I no, feel like no. I'm always at the bottom of the leaderboard. <laughs> no, no. Oh, my God. If someone got 100 dings, I don't know what I would do. Anyway, 14 dings, we can confirm, is a very decent score indeed. When I came on the show before I was a host, I think I had, what, it was, it was either 10 or 11? So, so you've beaten me, Tim. <laughs> Level 3. Game My Problem. Right, welcome back, listener, for the final round. It is, of course, Game My Problem. That classic, not remotely farcical round where we come up with some fantastic cutting-edge games to solve your business problems. Right, we've had an email in from Harold. Dear Ben and Zuki, I started listening to your show last week and had to get in touch. I love what you're doing and wish more people would think like you. I have a problem I think a great game might just solve. I am the HR manager for a growing health and wellness company. I send out a quarterly survey to get feedback from all our employees on how the company is doing and what we could do better. But I've noticed that response rates have gradually dropped off. There must be a way of turning it into a game so that people are more engaged and we get better responses. Looking forward to hearing what you think from Harold. Nice, Harold. I like what you're trying to do here. Just to summarise what Harold's got for us. So Harold's problem is he's sending out a quarterly survey. Response rates are dwindling. And he's trying to, like, to use some sort of game mechanic to stimulate more responses and get people to fill out his survey. Right, we're good to go. I will start the timer now. Time is up. Right, we should each have our game now. Zuki, you're normally pretty savage about my game, so I'm going to make you go first for once. What? Ben, this is brutal. Okay, so I've done my usual thing. I started with a name. The name of my game is Tell Us What You Think and Tell Us What You Drink. (laughs) So what we're going to do is we're going to ask people to fill out the survey, but within the survey, we're going to have some hidden things. So we're going to hide some cocktail ingredients. And then what people have to do is they have to fill out the survey. As they fill out the survey, there'll be a thing which will be like, boom, tequila. And then the next one will be like, boom, uh, I don't know, lemon, etc. 
And then what will happen is they complete the survey and at the end, they have to take those ingredients and they have to say, if you take the ingredients together, you create this cocktail. And if they get it right, they get served that cocktail um, for free at the next company party, which will be Ben's Barbecue this summer. Can't wait to see you there, Ben. <laughs> okay. I've got to be honest, Zuki, this is probably one of your weaker games. I'm going to level with you. Are you kidding me? It's hidden Easter eggs. You find the Easter eggs, you create the cocktail. HR surveys are not always the most fun surveys, but cocktail recipes, barrels of fun. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing this is a dud. <laughs> and now I'm going to show you how it's done. So I'm going to start off with the usual great game name. I know you like my game names. So the name of this game is going to be Survey Wars. The way it's going to work, it's multifaceted. This is this is big. I'm, 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 I'm a little bit proud of this one, I'm not going to lie. So when a survey goes out for completion, it's going to be like a live leaderboardy type thing where you can see any one person, like how percentage complete their survey is. So let's say there's 100 people in the company. Okay, let's say that. It's always like the top 10% where if you're one of the first 10 people, that complete the survey, there's also gonna be like a little horse racing table and everyone will have a horse. And the horse moves forward like one space on that horse racing table, if you also get in the top 10%. And then another survey, and if you're in the top 10%, you move your horse again. And it keeps going until you try and get your horse to the end. Now also, people can bet in a currency that I've not yet decided on what horse they think is gonna win. So there's like different odds assigned to the horses based on like their performance in completing surveys previously, if you get to the front first, not only do people like win or lose these bets, but you get like a portion of the takings of these bets as well. So it's multifaceted, there's a lot going on. Survey Wars. Nice. I feel like Survey Races might be a better a better name, but. Yeah, but I didn't like that name. I thought about that and it just doesn't roll off the tongue as well. Ben, I think this is really good. What Harold is definitely gonna get from your game is some really high quality, well thought through responses that are not, are not in the least bit rushed. <laughs> <laughs> that may be a slight weakness in the game. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. Well, now that you've pointed out that floor, I think it's time to move on from my game. And uh, Tim, last but not least, what have you got for us? What have you got for Harold? Well, I've completely misunderstood this section of the uh, podcast, but in seriousness, I do think maybe Harold's problem is that the survey is too long. Some of what we do as journalists is putting out surveys, and honestly, like the shorter the better. Obviously, the idea of some kind of prize draw at the end of it. I do like Ben's idea of some kind of timer on the game. I haven't come up with a name, but uh, I'm, I'll revert back to my R&D department and come back to you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tim. There you go. Uh, there you go, Harold. Sorted. Problem solved. So, thank you very much for coming on this episode of the podcast, Tim. Have you had fun? I've had huge fun and I can't wait to play again. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to a game of bridge after this, to be honest with you. So thank you very much for listening to episode six of Let's Play Business. If you've got a business problem that you would like our help with, then please email in your dilemma to letsplaybusinesspodcast at gmail.com. That's letsplaybusinesspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love a recommendation. So if you've got a friend that loves a thousand piece puzzles or something similar, we would love it if you made them aware of this podcast. Uh, all our social media handles will of course be in the show notes below, as well as links to my company, Alternative experiences in case you want to take a peek at what we offer but for now i've been your host ben fowler and i've been your host zuki and thank you again for listening we'll see you in the next episode
So we are Let's Play Business. No, 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 that's the wrong one. <laughs> He's been Ben. I've been Zuki. This has been Let's Play Business. And you've been leveled up. That's good, right? Mm -hmm.